welcome to What's Your Real Job podcast, a podcast by and for creatives about the trials and tribulations of turning art into a quote unquote real job. I'm your host, Abby Stone. And I'm your co-host, Stephanie Sawaya. And welcome to our very first podcast. We are going to talk to each other and talk about our arts and um, kind of get to know each other and to get you guys to learn a little bit about us and our inspirations and our trials and tribulations. Yeah, so I guess, Steph, the first question I want to ask you in relation to introducing you to our audience is tell us what your art medium of choice is and what you do artistically. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm a photographer and I like to spend most of my time shooting portraits and fashion. Um, I've been shooting since I kind of, I was really young, but I started taking it seriously in like year 11 or year 12. And, um, that was because I stopped actually dancing, which was my first, um, choice of art practice I was a dancer all growing up and I went to an art school so that was kind of like what I thought I wanted to do but then I realized that it wasn't so much and I transferred from my dance class into a photography class and then went on to uni and kept going from there that's really cool. Obviously, I knew that about you because Steph and I are really good friends. And the way that we became friends is because I am a musician and I met Steph through a mutual friend who I was working with at the time. Shout out, Michaela. Um, and being that, Steph, you are a creative yourself, um, I guess we kind of connected with that straight away and we always knew that we wanted to work with each other in a creative way. So, Steph began shooting me do you know it was like less than a year ago that we started shooting together less than it doesn't feel like it feels like we've been shooting together forever I know I know so I've worked with not heaps of photographers in my career but a few I've always kind of kept everything in-house but when we started shooting together I don't know it felt like it was just such a perfect match and the way that I describe you, I've told you this so many times, the way that I describe Steph to anybody that's never met her is she's very much a yes person. So creatively, I mean, so if I say to Steph, let's rent out an $80 hotel room with a tacky, gross hotel room and turn it into this like cool Studio 54, like disco vibes. Um, instead of looking at me like I had two heads, Steph was just down for the ride and was like, yep, yeah, cool. What else? What else can we add to it? I'm going to get posters and stuff. So, yeah, um, Steph and I connected creatively through my music. I am a musician. So I guess that's a little about our relationship. But, yeah. Yeah, I think I think a lot of artists gravitate towards each other when, you know, you meet, you connect through mutual friends. And if that mutual friend is an artist or if they're not – if the other person that you're meeting is an artist, you're like, oh, so am I. And that becomes such a big topic. And because artists and creatives, it's such a big part of your life. You always want to talk about it and share your experiences and your ideas and stuff. So I thought it was really cool because I grew up kind of around a lot of creatives. So I was kind of, I just knew them by default, but meeting someone else that like wasn't in your circle, I think is really cool. 
Yeah, and I guess that's the point of this podcast for us as well. Like being that we are in isolation 2.0, it's hard to obviously go out and meet anybody, let alone other creative people. But I think in times like this, creative people do try to find unique ways of connecting. So, um, yeah, I guess that's why we started this podcast to reach out to other artistic people and just continue being creative together. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, Steph, I might hit you with another question. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to ask you what, I think I already know the answer to this, but what has been your favourite shooting experience so far in your career? Um, So far, it's definitely been the hotel room that we shot together. That was, like, so much fun. I really enjoy location shoots. I love shooting in a studio, but I love being able to turn a location into, like, the idea that I have in my head. And I think we created that so awesomely. And we didn't even, like... It wasn't like a full effort. We were kind of like, oh, yeah, we'll just do this and I think this will look good and it was exactly uh, probably better than I could have ever imagined. And so I think, yeah, that was being able to just kind of go with the flow and do what we wanted and just put stuff together. It was so much fun. I was just going to say for anyone listening that wants to see visually what we're talking about, if you go onto either Steph's photography page, you'll obviously see the shots. Um, but if you go onto my Instagram at Abby Stone Music, I have a bad lady highlight, like Instagram story highlight. And at the very end of that highlight, I've put up like a before and after shot of the hotel room that we've transformed. So there's the before photo from the website and then there's an after video of what we did. And yeah, you're right. Like there was obviously effort that was put into it, but in terms of like actually turning it into what we wanted, we just kind of, we kind of started sticking shit to the walls and hoping for the and best. And it didn't even work half no. the time. Things were falling down. And do you remember the light falling on your head? That was <laughs> the funniest thing. Oh, I know. There's another video on that highlight reel. You're like pissing yourself laughing and I'm just like <laughs> taking selfies in the mirror and you're in the background like, oh, shit. So, yeah, for anyone wanting to see that, definitely jump online on my Instagram and check that out. Um yeah. What about any other shooting experiences other than that one? Anything else that springs to mind? Um, I actually did a really cool shoot at Peak when I was going there, when I was studying, and it was the first ever nude shoot I did. And I was a little bit like scared because I didn't, I had never done one before and I wasn't sure like how to interact with my models being like nude. I don't know. I just felt extremely awkward because I'd never done it before, but it turned out to be like one of the most grounding experiences because I felt so comfortable with these women and it was just unlike anything that I've done, like working with the human form and working with someone nude is 
a really different experience than shooting fashion or portraiture, which was what I was used to. So I think it was a very like raw and grounding experience for me because of that. And I actually shot with one of my cousins from Queensland and an old high school friend, which was really cool because they weren't the kind of models that I was expecting, but I thought it was really cool because I, you know, I was already kind of close to them. We had a friendship and whatever, and they weren't just models. They were, I knew them and it was kind of a cool way for me to connect as well. And it was nice to see how confident and comfortable they were in their skin as well. That was really cool. For anybody that's listening that might not know, can you tell us what PIC is? Yeah, so it's the Photographic Imaging College. It's attached to a high school in Preston. Um, and it's you can go there after high school or kind of during high school, I'm pretty sure. And it was just where I studied photography for two years and I did a Cert 4 and a diploma year there. I didn't do them one after another. I kind of did my Cert 4 and then I went for a couple of years out into the industry and then I went back and did my diploma. And the teachers there, I cannot recommend them highly enough. They are the most loving, helpful teachers I've ever come across in my life. And I think I'm so blessed to have gone from NCAT, which is the school that it's, it's attached to, straight through to PIC because it's not as intimidating as a um, as a uni. It's, you know, a lot smaller and it's just, it's so good. It, whatever way you learn, whether it's in the books or in person, like you've got to touch things and be able to do things, it's a perfect mixture of both. That's really cool. So, yeah, for anyone that might be a little bit younger listening, that might be something for you to research. That sounds really cool. Thanks, Steph. Yeah, no worries. Cool. Do you have more questions or do you want me to shoot some through to you? Whatever you like. I mean, I could ask you questions all day, but, yeah, you can ask me some if you want to. Well, there's actually something that I was really interested in because we are in both in the creative industry, there's different challenges we face um, through our field, but I wanted to know what has been your biggest challenge and how you've overcome it or if you've overcome it. I guess my biggest challenge is something that um, will probably never go away. So in terms of overcoming it, I'll touch on that later, but I think the biggest challenge for me is um, trying really hard to not compare myself to other artists and where they are maybe in their career or even just like what they can do that I can't and vice versa. So when I was really young, uh, I started doing singing competitions. That was the first, one of the first ways I started performing. Um, I was I was performing kind of professionally before that, but it was just another avenue for performance. So I started doing competitions and I would just never win anything. So in, this is going to sound really um, precocious of me, but when I was younger, because I had so much love from my family and so much support from them, um, when I would go through those competitions, it didn't really affect my ego in the sense of like, oh, I must not be good enough. Um, it just made me really confused because I was like, I know that I'm, I can, I've got a good voice. I know that I'm good. Why aren't I winning? And I think it was just a really like a rude awakening for me to see that you're, it's like this really famous 
like cheesy Beyonce quote, but it's true. It's like, you're never too good to lose. So that's something that I had to learn really young and I'm still learning obviously, but yeah, the fact that when you get older, you become exposed to more platforms, so social media and different performances and, you know, different community of people. And with that comes, it's like inevitable that you will begin to compare yourself to other people. But I think the, the best way that I can overcome it in the moment is to just remind myself that I am me, they're them. We all have different things to present and give to the world. And that's why the people that I'm comparing myself to now, instead of becoming competitive, which I I never really have been, but instead of letting myself feel that like fear of competition, I just try to become big fangirls of those people. So I just try to turn that fear into a really like supportive way of thinking, which works for me. So anytime I see myself feeling competitive or like jealous or weird about that or like scared of that comparison, I just try to delve into what it is I'm jealous of. And then I think, well, it's because they're talented. And then I think, well, if they're talented, you should be a fan of theirs. So yeah, that's kind of my mechanism for that. But as I said, I don't think that will ever go away. Well, I think all artists are really self-critical. So I'm still working on it. Yeah, definitely. It's hard being an artist. And I think, yeah, you're right. Everyone compares themselves. It's hard. It's hard not to, because it feels like there's so many of us now and everyone, maybe it's just because we're in that field and we're in that industry, but it feels like every second person does what you do. And it's hard to like, separate yourself or make yourself feel validated like why why is it that I do what I do but I think yeah if you're comfortable in what you do when your personal you know whatever it is that your art is I think yeah that's the easiest way to get through it I also think I just want to ask you another question <laughs> that was such a weird way to start In regards to the whole point of this podcast, I want to ask you, Steph, have you ever been told to get a real job or asked what's your real job though? Yeah, I think I thought about this when we were starting this up and when, when we first had the conversation and especially when we spoke about the title. I, when I was younger, um, I think I've always had a lot of support from my parents because my parents are quite young and they've always been very modern. But um, well, sorry to interrupt, but your mum's an artist too, so that yeah, would... yeah, my mum's a musician, my mum's a singer, so yeah, she, I think she's always understood where my creative comes from, and she's never kind of judged it at all in any sense because it's what she does as well. So yeah, that's been really helpful. Um, But, yeah, I think growing up trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do when I finished high school and I would have these conversations not only with my parents but grandparents and aunties and uncles and whatever, and I did kind of get told, like, no, that's not what you should do or asked, well, how are you going to make money from that? And I think it's more, you know, I, I... particularly my, not all my grandparents, but I don't want to single anyone out. But, um, yeah, I had a grandparent ask me like, well, how are you going to make money from that? And how are you going to do it 
for the rest of your life? Like, is that something that's sustainable for the rest of your life and to do the things that you want to do? And I don't think she was trying to be as negative as she was coming across, but I don't know, not a lot of the older generation can realize this is a, a sustainable practice now. And as hard as it is, because don't get me wrong, it's not as sustainable as it should be. A lot of artists get underpaid and taken advantage of. But I think that me personally, I've, I don't know, I've known how to maybe just like steer a little bit away from the direction that I would mainly want to be in to make some more money. You know, like I've gone into arts jobs. It, it ha- They haven't been photography specific, but I loved it because it was still in the creative field, which is, you know, it's not exactly what I want to do, but I'm young, I'm trying to buy a house and that's just something that I have to do right now. And then once I've kicked some goals and I can maybe focus on my photography a little bit more. Um, yeah, I've been the same in a sense. And it's, it's so funny because like my story is quite similar, but I copped it a lot from teachers when I was younger. So every single year in my kind of like senior years of high school, so like from year nine to year 12, every year at the end of the year before you'd go into the next one, you'd sit down with a course counsellor and a piece of paper to choose your subjects. And they'd ask you what your interests are, what are some career paths you might be interested in? And I vividly remember having conversations with them every year and saying, like, I'm interested in music. I want to pursue a career in music. I want to sing. Like, this is something that I'm good at. Like, I believe I can really make a career out of this. And I can put myself in the position of an adult, especially an educator, that might be hearing that from a young person and I can see how there might be a little bit, I don't want to say concern, but I can see how they would be a little bit more realistic and logical and be like, okay, well, that's really good and you can do that. But the one I got was, how are you going to put food on the table? And I think what's really disappointing about that is it perpetuates this idea that arts aren't enough to support a family with. And it's just simply not true. And the reason that I kept going back every year with such a strong conviction in saying, no, I'm going to do music, I'm going to pursue a career in music, was because I would see people, like, don't forget, I was I was actively working in the music industry through those senior years of high school. So I was seeing people with careers in a creative field that were supporting families. And I would just think, well, that's not true what you're telling me because if they can do it, why can't I? Like I I have the ability to, I have the drive, I have the commitment, I have all of these things. Like why can't I? Why are you putting me – it felt like they were putting me down, but as I said, I can emphasise – sorry, I can empathise and understand that point of view. But it's so interesting though because they put me into VCE Music in Year 11 And I did not get on with my music teacher at all. In fact, I hated music in high school altogether to the point that I didn't even end up going to my year 12 exam. I just slept in and I was like, I have nothing to present. I haven't gone to this class all year. What what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm just going to stay at home. So in the sense that I can, like your grandparents, I can understand that older generation kind of looking at you and being like, oh, you're crazy. Like, you're never going to be able to do that. I think something that might be 
healthier to say to someone is that's awesome what's your plan like what are your stepping stones to get to that point because you know as a young person that wants to pursue a career in a creative field you are a little bit naive and you do think I'm gonna be this famous whatever singer painter photographer by the age of whatever you know and something that you don't really focus on is the smaller points that are going to get you to that point so for anyone listening or for any of our future guests um if anyone's ever told you to get a real job why don't you sit down with them and say well why don't you brainstorm with me so that we can turn my goal into something that you consider to be a real job because that might be a little bit healthier than that comment so I'm really excited to get people on to this podcast to discuss that with them and and like I said the point of this podcast is to discuss these issues and these topics with people who have done exactly that so to people who have ever told you to get a real job um what's their job (laughs) yeah um I have a question going off that um I'm currently in the middle of sitting down with my younger brother to talk about things that he wants to do because he is so talented in music but not just music like he loves music he loves sports he loves teaching loves all these things and I think that one thing that I struggled with growing up trying to be a creative was not knowing how much I could do that wasn't just maybe specifically a photographer there's so many other things I felt like I don't know why but I felt like okay if you're a photographer you do like family portraits and I don't know which there's nothing wrong with I've worked at a a family portrait studio and I love it but I felt like that was the only thing that I could do and I think getting out of school and even like past peak and all of that I realized, well, no one really tells you from young that there is so many other options within your field. And that's what I'm trying to explain to my younger brother. I'm trying to tell him, you know, well, you love music. You could be a music teacher. You could be a music producer. You can be a roadie. You know, it might not be exactly what you do, but you might go into that field or go into a job and be like, I love this job. And I think that there needs to be maybe better career advices or counsellors within the creative industry I just never found that I got that and I think that it could be really important for other young creatives. It's really like interesting hearing you say that because I'm 25 and you know I've been a singer since I was 12 right but it's only really like the last I want to say like two years that I've like even considered the fact that I could be a writer for other artists or I could um, comp my own vocals and produce a record. So, yeah, totally agree. I don't think there is enough information that shows young people, okay, this is your field. This here is the expanse of, of jobs that there are in that field. So, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more in 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 that sense definitely Hmm. yeah cool do you have more questions of course I do I want to say actually I want to ask you one very specific question um that is very practical I guess and that is if you don't mind me asking how do you make money from photography 
Cool. Well, um, I have been a freelance photographer for about, what are we, five years? That feels so weird to say, but yeah, I've been a freelance photographer for about five years and, um, I haven't put all my effort into that because I've always needed a second job just because of my goals and money and whatever. Um, and I've needed stability, which freelance photography doesn't usually give you. So I've done, um, photo walks where I've walked for somebody else and I've walked around the city and taught photography to other people from all over the world. Um, I've worked for a short time in a photography studio doing family portraits and also learning how to do family portraits, which has been really interesting. Um, other photography jobs. Yeah, I think mainly I've had a lot of freelance work. So I've, whenever I've been doing these other jobs, I've been freelancing as well and also having a job in the creative industry. So I, I was, I've been a gallery assistant as well, which is, it's not just photography. I mean, because I was a photographer, they asked me to shoot a lot of stuff. Like we got a lot of jewelry stuff in the cabinet. So I would shoot that, but that wasn't my job just because I was a photographer and I would mention it, I would always kind of put it into my job, which is really cool as well in the creative industry. It was a gallery assisting job, which was basically a receptionist at this beautiful art gallery, but I was able to be creative and say, Hey, I can shoot that for you for your Instagram page and things like that. So I always kind of um, weave photography into whatever job I'm doing. Weren't you also at a, some stage working as an editor? No. Were you? Where did you get that from? An editor? Or like like editing photos? Yeah, that was kind of a part of the um, family portrait studio. So there was like kind of three different jobs you could do there. You could do, you could edit images that other photographers would shoot. Um, you could be a photographer there or you could kind of work in the office where um, you would kind of do calls for people who were coming in and prepare them for the week and things like that. So I wasn't, I didn't do that for very long. I kind of just learned how to do that, which was really cool. And that's another thing that, you know, I didn't know I could do or I would enjoy doing, but I did. And I found out actually by being in, in the industry. Yeah. And that goes back to what we were just saying before. So sometimes maybe, it is a matter of getting into your field and experiencing these different jobs that will lead you to something completely different that you might fall in love with. So, yeah, that's why I asked that because I knew that that was like another aspect of, of photography that that is, yeah, a career and a job as well. That's really cool. Yeah. And Obviously, what about you? Would you like to answer that question? How do you make money? Oh, yeah. Um, I make money mostly <laughs> mostly through live performances. So as a singer-songwriter, um, unless you're like Taylor Swift, there's really not much money in, in music unless you're constantly gigging. So at the moment with coronavirus, obviously my my career is, you know, like financially on pause at the moment because I can't get out and perform because that's truly where the money is. 
That's why you see people like the Rolling Stones still gigging because that's how they <laughs> that's how they put food on their table. But um, there's obviously money in songwriting as well and owning your publishing and songwriting royalties. So the more plays and streams that you get on different platforms, you obviously get paid for that as well as YouTube views and things like that. So it's a really important thing to learn how to utilize your streaming platforms and your audience. Um, but yeah, as a, as a performer, for me, the way I make most of my money is through live gigs and also selling my own merch. So yeah, for anyone that's listening that wants to make money through music, I would say as soon as restrictions lift, get an instrument, get, if you can't play an instrument, get a friend who can and just get out and start playing shows. Something that I was discussing, and Steph, you might be able to relate to this, something I was discussing with another creative that I'm friends with earlier today was how in the beginning stages of your career, you do a lot of free stuff for quote unquote experience. And yes, everybody has to cut their teeth and pay their dues. Is that something that you've experienced? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I, yeah, it's really difficult when you're starting off to differentiate kind of maybe what you're worth um, and decide your value and should I be charging for this gig? Should I not? How much should I be charging? I still struggle with it because I think it's hard when you have a friend who is a creative or, you know, might be starting something creative and you say, you know, well, I won't charge you for this or I won't charge you for that. And I feel like that's kind of devaluing yourself. And I've only realized that recently because, um, I've noticed that some friends and even family can take advantage. And if you're happy to do something for free, that's fine. But if you're not, there's a kind of a fine line and and a balance of trying to say, well, look, I'm not going to do that for free because if you were going to go look for this somewhere else, you would be paying for it. And it's just, I don't think it's fair for people to just assume that you'll do it for free either. So it's difficult and kind of awkward to have the conversation. But um, I think, yeah, I think getting help from, you know, an industry professional is really good, like to ask them how much they charged at the start and what should you be, what, what you're worth and things like that. I think to decide that and kind of stick with it and roll with it is a really good decision to make because, yeah, you feel like, kind of guilty when you don't stick with it and you're like well I only charge my other friend this much so I'll do yours the same it just kind of snowballs and gets out of control sometimes and on the other side of that conversation as well is also just kind of like highballing your rate in the beginning and then just letting people negotiate from there because realistically that people don't know what you're going to charge them and you are worth what you are worth the number that you put on your head. So a little while ago, actually this was quite a few years ago now, there was somebody who was like an amateur producer, like um, we're talking like dumb amateur, like stupid, like never made a song in their life. That's another story. Um, They wanted to know if I, if I could do a verse and a chorus for their track, I said, yeah, no worries. Um, It's going to be $200 for the verse and $200 for the chorus. And I still don't really know about what you're supposed to charge 
for stuff like that, you know, but I was a teenager at that point and I was like, I'm just going to say this because this seems like a lot of money to me right now and they're either going to say yes, in which case great, or they're going to say no, in which case I'm in the position, the exact same position as I am right now. So I've kind of got nothing to lose by highballing my rate and then letting them negotiate from there. So it's kind of like throwing something to the wall and just seeing what sticks. You know, some people are going to say yes to that rate. Some people are going to say no. And then if you highball from the beginning, I don't even know if this is the right advice, but this is just how I am. Like I put a very high value on on what I do. And I think everybody should if you work hard on it. Um, but yeah, like if, if they say yes, great. If they say no, fine, whatever. And this person didn't say anything, just didn't reply. So I was like, okay, well... Yeah, you can go out and, and look for someone that's going to do it cheaper, but you're going to get that quality, you know. And then on the other end of that spectrum, like this was years ago, and then recently I've been doing some top-lining stuff that I've done for free, like just for the love of it. And it's like exactly what you said. If you want to do something for free, that's great. Like do that. It's it's your prerogative. It's your art. You can do with it what you will. Um, but you're also allowed to pick and choose because you're the one that's putting the labour in. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, yeah, I think it's, it's still hard to differentiate, but I was wondering actually, if you've, if you've gotten that advice from someone, has someone ever told you, or have you ever asked the question, like, how much should I charge or, you know, what should I do? Who has it been that's kind of given you really good advice that you've stuck with? I've been very lucky and blessed in the sense that I've had a really great business partnership with my manager since I was 15. So we're talking 10 years now of somebody by my side saying, this is what we should do. This is what we shouldn't do. But also like, if I put my foot down and say, no, I want to do this, or I don't want to do this, it's cool. Yep. Let's move on. Let's do whatever you want to do. So my manager, Alan has been a really great, incredible ally to me in my career for a very long time now. So yeah, maybe I am a little bit like overconfident in saying what I just said, because I've had that, you know, kind of push in the back there saying, nah, go higher. Like tell them, charge them higher. Like, what are they going to say? No, you know? So I'm lucky in that sense, but my whole family are very much like that. Like we're always, we've always been kind of risk takers and just kind of like go for it and whatever happens, happens. So I don't know. It's, it's a little, it's a mix of, yeah, having Alan on my side and in my back pocket saying, what about this? And also like my own personality saying, no, I'm going to, I'm going to charge what I think I'm worth if you don't like it. See ya. So what about you? Have you ever had that kind of like anyone to turn to for that kind of advice? Yeah, I, we, that was something that we kind of focused on and studied in the second year at PIC. Um, and most of the teachers or pretty much all of the teachers are still industry professionals. So they still kind of keep up with, you know, modern things and they had a lot of good advice on what to do, but I think it was difficult because they each had something different to say and a different idea of what you should do and what you should charge, which was really difficult for me because, you know, when you hear one person saying one thing and another person saying another thing, you're still just as confused as you were in the beginning. But I think it's just differentiating like, well, I had a couple of teachers who I was like, well, they're the kind of photographer that I want to be. So I would kind of hone into what they did and really ask them a little bit more questions and get more out of them. But 
I am very blessed that I had really great teachers because no one else really, like I did my family, no one's a photographer or anything like that. But then going out into the industry and asking the same kind of questions is good too because although you're getting even more um, people telling you different things, you kind of get to decide whether what you're doing is good for you or isn't. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's good and bad getting lots of views. So I think it's like overwhelming at the start, but then when you do decide something and you do go out into the industry, you decide if that's right or wrong for you. Yeah, and it is all about what works for you and figuring that out for yourself because people are going to have opinions like regardless whether you ask the question or not. That's something I've learned. Like unsolicited opinions are always going to be there. So you just have to cherry pick what suits you and what doesn't. Um, We have about three minutes left on our Zoom chat, Steffi. So, I mean, we can always stop and start again and keep recording content, but we have been chatting for 40 minutes, not to mention the full hour prior to this (laughs) with our technological (laughs) disruptions. Yeah. Guys, I broke a light. I broke a mirror. This is all just trying to get a microphone to work. So so eventful. I do have maybe one thing that we can maybe end on. Mm. So just a quick, maybe a story of something like what was the maybe something really crappy that you've experienced in your industry, like maybe the worst event or something really crap. Well, I've done a lot of, wow, so many things came to mind. (laughs) But um, I have never been asked this. This is such a good reflective question. I've done a lot of support work, like support artists, support, sorry, support act work in my career. Um, So Uh, what comes with that is like you're obviously not the main act so you're just kind of there to help out you're there to not get in the way basically which is something that me and my team have become really good at um we do our work and we kind of piss off but there was a a festival that I did a little while back and the main headliner was I'm not going to say any names but like a really very famous voice in Australia so, um, and anyway, I was kind of like banished over to the, um, side tent, you know, over there in the caravan, like with all of the male, uh, sorry, the female backing singers, which was fine. Like they're all lovely, um, minding my own business. And one of his team came in to iron some shirts and was really nasty to me and tried to have me removed from the, like the little caravan. And it was basically asking why I was there, who, who was I, um, and it just made me feel very like insignificant. But at the end of the day, I'm there to do a job. What happens before and after being on stage is so irrelevant to me. Like I'm just, I kind of like switch off until I get to perform. And that's when I, you know, I'm there. But yeah, I've definitely had some moments where I'm kind of like just dis- completely disregarded, but I got a thick skin. So, you know, it is what it is. What about you? Um, I think... I actually stopped shooting for a year. I stopped freelancing for a year because of a bad experience that I had with a company who I don't, I think that I just didn't have a tough enough skin at that point. I think it wasn't even that bad what I went through, but it was just, I felt really uncomfortable surrounded by the people from this company. And I felt like they were kind of 
disregarding me as a photographer and kind of doing their own thing and I would show them what I got based on you know what they were trying to tell me to do and their vision and everything that I was showing them it just wasn't good enough and they would kind of start taking photos on their phone and be like oh that's so much better and it made me feel like oh maybe I'm not as good as I think I am at what I do and maybe I'm, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. So I actually stopped shooting for a full year and I think it was just I didn't have a thick enough skin. So, you know, it was unfortunate but now I do and I really did learn from that. Well, actually, I came out of it much more confident because I really thought about who I wanted to be as a photographer and the type of things that I wanted to shoot. So I think it was more positive than negative. It's funny though that you say, I mean, it's not funny, that's horrible, but it's, it's interesting that you say you didn't have a thick enough skin to get through that. But the thing is the way you get a thick skin is going through shit like that like that's that's what happens to get you to the next point where you might go through something similar and it won't even phase you so you gotta be gotta be grateful for those experiences and just you know put them in your back pocket and use that as more motivation to just keep going and keep creating something better than what you did yesterday sure yeah. Good advice. Oh, we're so wise. Oh, we're so <laughs> clever. Aren't you so glad that you listened to this podcast today? <laughs> anyway, guys, we might wrap this up for you. Thank you so much for, I was going to say, zoning in. I'm sure yes, no. Zooming in. <laughs> Zooming in because we're on a Zoom meeting. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks to COVID. Steph is in Phillip Island. I'm in Melbourne. So we're trying to figure this out for you guys. So thank you for listening. If you've gone this far, you're a legend. Next week, we'll be back with an incredible guest. Um, so stay tuned. We're really excited to get some amazing creative guests on to chat to. So if you guys feel like that's you, feel free to send us an email. Our email address will be in the show notes of this episode. So send us a message um, and we'll see you next week. Anything you'd like to add, Steph B? No, thank you. I'm just so excited that we've actually started this and this is so exciting and I'm excited to talk to more people and um, inspire people and get feedback and see what people think about what we're talking about, even if people have any suggestions of like questions and things like that. That would be really cool. Absolutely. We'll see you next week.